You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you do business, you know this already. Video conferencing has changed the way that we do business. There are fewer long-distance trips and more FaceTime at the click of a mouse. And in 2018, the clear winner is Zoom. Zoom delivers flawless video, pin drop clear audio, and instant sharing across any device, desktop, laptop, tablet, mobile. And the HD video is insane. The first time you see the faces of 49 participants live on the screen, it is incredible. And with Zoom, you can share anything with anybody from any device. A Word file, a spreadsheet, a presentation deck, a YouTube video, a photo from your phone. You can even set up a green screen behind you and make a backdrop of your client's logo or some exotic location from around the world. The only limit here is your imagination. Now, if you already use Zoom, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, find out. Visit zoom.us to set up your free account today. Meet happy with Zoom video communications. Set up your free account right now at zoom.us. I got a great picture of my office I'm looking at right now, Jim. Though it's, it's, uh, it's me shooting about a 20-foot jumper over Jalen Rose, and it's going in. You know, the form is textbook, perfect, follow-through. <laughs> uh, jumping about two feet off the ground on the jump shot, so that's my proof that I could jump a little bit also. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. This is episode 62, and my guest is Arizona State head basketball coach Bobby Hurley. Bobby was an all-time great at Duke. He won a couple of national championships, played in three Final Fours, and had his jersey retired. He was a first-round pick, in fact, a lottery pick of the Sacramento Kings. But just 19 games into his professional career, he was nearly killed in a horrific auto accident. His body was wrecked, yet he made it back to the court in under a year and logged several years in the association. Bobby also had success off the court. On the racetrack with Song and a Prayer. And after that, he got into the family business once again. He joined his brother Dan's staff at Wagner, and his ascent up the coaching ranks has been swift. My conversation with Bobby Hurley, the head coach of the 20th ranked Arizona State Sun Devils, drops right now. Bobby, it is so great to have you on a long-form podcast like this. In fact, let me start by saying, Bobby, I talked to your guy Nate Oates on the radio program this morning. It was great to hear his voice. Let me start right there. How pleased, Bobby, are you to see him continuing to build upon what you started in Buffalo as head coach? Yeah, um, it was great, Jim. I I actually listened to some of it. I I didn't catch the whole interview, but heard uh, heard a good part of it. You know, just hearing Nate, you know, talking about his family and you know his wife Crystal and what she went through and it was such a such an emotional high for us to you know to win the MAC championship together and go to the NCAA tournament and Nate being you know a long time high school coach you know like my dad was and uh you know to see him uh to share that with him was terrific but then you know to get the news about his wife you know really really shortly after and uh just a really tough situation and I'm just happy for his family that that they've gotten through that it's been a very difficult thing but uh yeah I, I take a lot of pride in 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 just seeing what he's doing and I try and follow him as much as I can and we talk you know frequently about about our teams and uh you know I'm just I'm really proud of them and happy where they are right now 
you know, and then Bobby, you see where you are right now. And I got to say, given your whole upbringing was hard nosed, hardcore Jersey City. I can't lie, Bobby. Like, I get a real kick out of seeing you do your thing in the desert. I've got to ask, what's it like? I mean, was there any adjustment for you in going to Tempe or essentially is basketball basketball and it really doesn't matter where you are? It, it was, um, I think, just trying to figure out um, the, the recruiting piece. My first year, Jim, it was the Pac-12 was loaded and, and I think we got seven teams in the NCAA tournament and I just had a chance to see all the talent, you know, at Arizona and USC and UCLA and you know, Utah and just like all these programs and realize, you know, we got to get to work and, you know, we got to recruit well. And, and, uh, because it always, it always comes down to having, having great talent. And, uh, so we worked hard on that and it, you know, we took some lumps over, uh, over a couple of years, but it's been real rewarding, you know, the last two years to, to see where we've, we've come as a program and, uh, and just, there's a lot of hope and uh, a lot of optimism, you know, for our season. And I'm going to talk to you about that in one second, but you mentioned Arizona. Bobby, I've done this in a long time, so I've talked to pretty much every region of the country, and there's that border skirmish that we used to talk about, Arizona, Arizona State. Now, I'm not going to compare it necessarily to Duke, North Carolina. You were right in the middle of the fiercest of the fierce rivalries, but what about Arizona, Arizona State? It's different, but does it on any level compare in terms of ferocity to some of the other great rivalries, or maybe even Duke, North Carolina? I mean, it's, it's heated, Jim. I mean, I just... Uh... Last year, you know, we're kind of starting to live up to our end of the bargain in terms of, um, you know, our program and, and our talent and, you know, our ability to compete in games like Arizona. And uh, so when we were undefeated and it was right after Christmas and playing our first league game, you know, at Arizona uh, to possibly go number one if we were able to, to win that game. And uh, just that crowd was unreal, just the the intensity of that crowd and, and uh, how loud it was. It was, uh, it was it was a great game to be a part of, really enjoyed it. And then the flip side was for us last year, which was the coolest thing, was in my prior years it would be like 70-30 ASU or 60-40 at our game. It was 95-5 for ASU. So just to see you know, the support of our fan base as, as we start to grow and get better as a program, it's just uh, – those are fun games to be a part of. So then, Bobby, where are you right now as a program? For instance, I know you consider this your fourth year to be a really critical season. So what does the next step look like for the team and the program? And does this particular group have an identity yet? Yeah, I think we're a lot different, Jim. Last year we had, like, small guards, and we we uh, you know we ran around and, and shot a lot of threes, and Teams had a hard time, uh, you know, keeping our guards uh, out of the paint, and we scored a lot of points. And this year I had always, and I think we were ahead of schedule a little bit in terms of how well we performed in the non-conference, and, and I think that helped translate into an NCAA tournament appearance, which was huge to kind of start setting the standard for, you know, our expectations year in and year out at Arizona State. But I had targeted this year. I thought that, you know, we, we had – um, transfers and incoming freshmen to replace, um, you know, a lot of points on, on the perimeter, but we were going to vast be vastly improved on the front court with our, with our athleticism and rebounding. And, you know, we're one of the better rebounding teams in the country right now. And our, our defense is much improved and, 
and we still have a lot of ways that we could score to basketball. So it's a fun team to coach. And then you got a big test coming up on Friday night in Los Angeles. You got my man E. Mus, Eric Musselman, and Nevada. Now they're deep, they're athletic. What do you think about the job? You know, like you, Bobby, Eric Musselman's had an amazing basketball life. Yeah. What do you think about the job Musselman's done, and what concerns you most about his squad? Yeah, I mean, I love it. I love what what, what he's done. It's it's uh, it's very reminiscent of of what we're trying to do. You know, with Nate Oates and where he's he's taken Buffalo uh, from a from a school that's had no or very little basketball tradition and and turned it into a you know a nationally ranked program. And I think Coach Musselman has done the same thing in Nevada. He's been very creative with how he's attracted talent um, into the program, kind of more of a. Uh, from accumulating transfers and but they're uh you know they're an older team they're a senior driven team and uh multiple guys that could hurt you uh caleb martin's one of the best players in the country jordan caroline is one of the most underrated players in the country so they uh we have a lot of respect for them and and uh how tough they are mentally I don't think that I need to tell anybody this, but the holidays are always the busiest, most stressful times of the year. I mean, like, what do you have on your holiday to-do list? Everything? How many errands are there to run? A million? Let me help you out with that. Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Post Office right to your desktop. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Then the mail carrier will pick it up. There are no trips to the post office required. It could not be any easier. I use Stamps.com because it not only saves time and money, but... We would never get through our Christmas card list without it. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Simply go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Rome. Stamps.com, enter Rome. That's Stamps.com, enter Rome. And Bob, you've got such a good thing going on at Arizona State right now, and you've got literally your entire basketball life ahead of you. But having said that, I think you have the most amazing basketball life and background. And look, a lot of what you do is recruiting. And obviously, I think a lot of these young kids that you're talking to, I think a lot of them know, but some of them don't really know. You know, if you and I take a quick stroll down memory lane, you had an amazing high school career. You played for your dad, who's a legend and a Hall of Famer. But when you were coming out of high school and you had the number one team in the country, you were undefeated, you and your teammates, Terry DeHare and Jerry Walker, talked about all going to Seton Hall. It looked like that might happen. So how did you end up at Duke? Yeah, I mean, it was, I had always been a Big East guy, you know, in the 80s. It was a great, a great time for, for basketball in the Big East Conference, and I watched that being so close to that area. But uh, I think it was just a visit, and, and it kind of, it was, it, it caught me off guard how much uh, I felt like at home there, just with uh, being around Coach K and his family and how close the players seemed to be to him, and just uh, getting a taste of, of how passionate people are about basketball. Like I love, I love the game, and and I, I could just see uh, ACC country uh, how how much people love college basketball and and love you know Duke and North Carolina. So I just got a like I don't know, just a great feeling about playing in Cameron Indoor and in that type of environment and playing for a guy that. You know, being around a great coach growing up, uh, maybe that helped me figure out how good Coach K was. And uh, so I think I made a great choice. 
Listen, there wasn't much time to acclimate either. I mean, all of a sudden you're thrown right into it and you're given the keys to that car and you're running the point and you guys are playing big time, big time basketball. And then all of a sudden you're in there playing for the national championship and you go up against UNLV. Bobby, I went to UC Santa Barbara. So UNLV played in the Big West. I remember that team distinctly. And, you know, pardon my French. Bobby, but when Larry Johnson and Greg Anthony and Stacy Ogden and the likes were coming into our building that had a capacity of 6,000 people, Bobby, we thought they were like the fucking L.A. Lakers or something. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I'm asking, proud as you were, as competitive as you were, when they won that first game against you guys by 30, how did you internalize that kind of a beatdown on that big of a stage as competitive as you were? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, there's no preparation for something like that and, and how you feel. And, uh, especially when you take, you know, you got a lot of pride in your game and, and, uh, you, you played against the best competition your whole life. And, you know, I play, I, I had to deal with Kenny Anderson and a lot of great point guards in ACC that year as a freshman. And then, you know, we beat a really good Arkansas team to get to the final game. And then you feel like it's a fair fairy tale situation. It just turns into a nightmare really fast. And it was, uh, you know, they just, uh, like you talked about, I mean, they look like a pro team just with the speed that they played the game at and uh, the athleticism and the tenacious way that they played defense and the whole package. I mean, they were, uh, they were unbelievable that game. And then, Bobby, after that, the, the Celtics come after Coach K, and you actually went to Coach K, and you had a conversation about that. What did you say to Coach K during that time? Well, I mean, I just talked to him, and I knew that the rumors were out there, and I didn't know how true they were. And, um, you know, I don't know how closely Coach really looked at it, but I just told him, like, you know, hey, you recruited me here. I want to play for you. And, and then, uh, you know, on that, on that phone call, he challenged me to, you know, are you, are you doing everything you need to do? Are you working as hard as you need to do to get better and lead our team? So it was kind of like he was telling me, let's uh, wake up here and, you know, we're not going through any games like uh, we had to go through the prior year. So let's let's get better. And uh, that was that was a, that had a chip on my shoulder. Is you know after I recovered from just the uh, humiliation of that game, then that takes some time. But then once you get over that, you just get back to work. All right, so then you get another shot at the running Rebs the following year. They're the defending champs. They're thirty four and zero. They're the overwhelming favorite to repeat. What was your mindset going into that game? Just uh, determination, uh, just a- any ounce of toughness that I had. You touched on Jersey City. It was, it was going to be a Jersey City game for me. That's how I was going out in that game. I was going to be uh, leaving everything on the floor, uh, not being intimidated, not uh, you know being aggressive but smart about it because you had to play a near flawless game against them because uh, of how talented they were and they expected to win and the whole deal. But you know, we brought a level of physicality. You know, we tested them. Uh, there was an open court situation that today would have definitely probably been an intentional foul on me where I kind of knocked uh, Anderson Hunt down and, and uh, didn't allow him to score. And it's kind of like a, a key moment for me as, as I remember them dunking on me uh, most of the year uh, the, in the prior game. And to have another chance and, and to do something with a little more physicality, I think was a statement for me. And you just want to, you know, when you're in that stage, you're on, you have an opportunity to, to compete in the final four. You just want to take advantage of it. Bobby, it seems to me there were a couple of Jersey City moments for you in that game. There was that moment with Anderson Hunt where you took him down. And then at the end of the game, down five, a little over two minutes to go, 
and you're bringing the ball up the floor, and you're calm. You're calm. I don't know what's going through your mind, but you're calm. And Coach K says he's looking at you. He's trying to get your attention. He wants to call play, and you don't even look over to the sideline, and then you knock down a monster three. I mean, well, from well beyond the arc. What do you remember about thinking as you were bringing it up and then letting it fly like that? I just think that, you know, it was uh, a key a key point in the game, obviously. And as a point guard, I think you even have a, a – a bigger understanding of, of the momentum in a game and, and you feel it a little more. So when they had the putback to go up five, I, I was saying to myself, like, if we have an empty possession here, they're going to get the ball and, and they're, they're most likely going to win this thing. So if I have a, a crease or a seam uh, with their amoeba, that I, that I was going to let it go. So I was preparing myself if I had that chance. But it's like I tell my players now, Jim, just, you know, trust the work you put in and, you know, when you have your opportunity, then take advantage of it. You mentioned the amoeba, Bobby. Tim Gergerich's amoeba defense, which is the craziest thing. I'd never seen anything like that. You know, going back to Jersey City yeah. for a minute, there, there was this great E60 piece uh, that ESPN did, and Terry DeHair was talking about how when you and Danny, and you go looking for local runs in Jersey City, and you guys would go wherever it took to find the best games, the best competition, but Terry DeHair kind of laughed. He goes, you were like, quote, eight mile before eight mile, and quote, some of the black kids didn't want to go to the areas where you went to where you played. What were those runs like? How tough were those games? Well, I mean, it was just uh, you could be really exposed as, you know, so many people on the sidelines watching. And that's why, like, when Michigan would, would talk trash to me during a game, if they did, it didn't phase me at all or almost anybody, you know, because when you're in, you know, in, in that urban environment and tough places where you got guys yelling stuff at you as you're playing, uh, and, 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 you know, you're, you're getting isolated on the wing against a guy that may never have played in the NBA or at a college level, but, you know, has got big-time handle and, and uh, can make you look real bad. And so you, you put yourself in all those vulnerable positions, you know, as, as you develop and grow as a player. And then, you know, it kind of pays off with, with uh, you know, down the line with your competitive drive. Bob, you mentioned Michigan. Then you have the national championship game against the Fab Five, and then all the talk before that game. And as you mentioned, they were doing a lot of talking during the game. But all the talk before the game was about what they were going to do, about how they were going to shock the world. You heard all that stuff. How did that make you feel, and what did you make of all that talk at that time? Yeah, I mean, we I respected how talented they were. and Heck, there wasn't a, a guy trying to get Chris Weber to go to Duke more than me when he was on his visit, you know, and uh, – I, I, we knew a lot of their, their, their players, but yeah, I, I just, we kind of felt like they, they didn't, uh, they didn't accomplish enough yet to, to start really, you know, all, all the talk that they, that they were, uh, you know, that they were given handing out. But, uh, you know, they, they're certainly for, for a group that was that young to, to go as far as, as they went in our era where it was just more normal for guys to stay around and there were really better older players um so it, it was quite an accomplishment for him to get to that to that final game i got a great picture in my office i'm looking at right now jim though it's it's uh it's me shooting about a 20-foot jumper over jalen rose and it's going in uh because uh you know the form is is is, is textbook perfect follow through <laughs> uh, jumping about two feet off the ground on the jump shot so that's my proof that I could jump a little bit also. Bobby, I was going to say, I know that picture. I've seen that picture, and you got you showed serious hops. i got to admit, my man Jalen, and I love Jalen, he didn't exactly contest that shot with a great deal of uh, ferocity, did he? 
No, or did you he, get up too he's high? Not really jumping, and and his uh, his his hand is only at about chest level, so it's not good enough, uh, you know, for for me in that moment there. Now, Bobby, family is so important to you, especially. And in 1992, in the Sweet 16, you went up against your brother Danny in Seton Hall. Danny said that it was one of the worst experiences of his life. I, I can't imagine that that was anything but challenging and tough for everybody. What was that like for you that night? Well, Dan and I have such a strong relationship, and we did then, and it's even gotten you know to a different level now with all the time we spent coaching and all the time we talked. But it was, uh, you know, it was just an impossible situation because uh, I relied so much on on uh, trying to create some animosity for whoever I was playing against to get an edge so that I could compete at the, at the highest level I could, and it was uh, I couldn't do that at all with uh, with Dan in that game, and so I, I I struggled through that game big time, and you know I obviously had a, a lot of help and and uh, some talented guys that I played with that. Uh, that helped us get through that game. Well, Bobby, you know that you can only imagine for Dan, and I, I could not respect or admire him more. I think he's unbelievable, but you can imagine what it would be like to try to live up to the college career that you had when you had one of the greatest college careers ever. And then also your dad, who's a Hall of Famer. So it, it's not easy being Dan, who's a star in his own right. Fellas, trust me on this. It is never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. Now, you might think that it makes you look casual, but more than likely, it makes you look like a slob. This is why Untuck It makes shirts that are specifically designed to be worn untucked. A casual shirt that's not too long, but not too short. It's just right. Shirts designed so well that GQ, GQ calls them, quote, perfection. Untucked shirts are a go-to for any occasion, from casual to dressy. Not only do they look good, they feel absolutely amazing. I know I wear them. With more than 50 sizing options, every single guy can find the perfect shirt. So log on to untuckit.com, check out all the new fall arrivals. Use the promo code ROME20 for 20% off your entire first-time purchase. You can also visit Untuckit in one of their over 35 retail locations across the country. Stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Just use that promo code ROME20 and get 20% off. Untuckit.com. Now, Bob, as I mentioned, your basketball life is so amazing and so extreme. There's no way we could cover it all. But you get to the NBA quickly, and then you have that just terrifying car wreck. And I don't want to belabor that. I spent a lot of time on that. But for those listening who don't know, that was on December 12, 1993. Do you... What do you remember about that night and what happened? If we could just briefly discuss that, because it's amazing. You and I really, Bob, we shouldn't even be having this conversation right now, given what happened to you that night. Yeah, no doubt, Jim. I was, uh, you know, I was heading home. I have two ways that I go home from uh, from Arco to my to my place, and it was, I think, ten minutes from from the arena, so it was really close. And uh, I decided not to go to the interstate. I, I was, most times I would go on the interstate, and I. There was another uh, darker road at night that was, you know, less less traveled. So I decided to go that route, and uh, yeah, I was I, I approached, I stopped at the stop sign, and proceeded. Didn't see anything, um, and then all of a sudden there was a, a car, you know, right on top of me with no headlights. So it was, uh, yeah, every, I knew everything was going to change uh, at that moment, uh, and really after that, all I remember is is uh, being revived. Uh, you know, for probably two minutes or three minutes, or uh, Mike Poplowski was there. There was there was someone else on the scene as well, and just uh, 
you know, thinking that it was you know, just the, the, the pain and the shock that I was in. It was, it was a combination of both. It was, uh, it was pretty extreme. Uh, I knew, you know, I was going to struggle to make it and was able to let Mike know to tell everyone that, that I love them. I care about them. You know, I just, I didn't think there was any chance how I felt, how my body felt, uh, at that moment. And then, you know, just to, uh, after hours of surgery in the night, the whole thing, it's just to, to wake up again and to be able to move my feet. Uh, and then that's all I did. And then I, I kind of crashed again and went back to sleep, but it was, uh, unbelievable experience, you know, to go through something like that. It was eight hours of surgery. You rejected from the car, 75 feet. You landed in a ditch. But, Bobby, amazingly, you were back in the NBA within a year. You played four more years, and then by age 27, your career was over. You know, I heard you say that as you look back on your NBA career that you actually consider it a failure. And I want to ask the question, again, Bobby, that car accident should have cost you your life. The fact that you ever played another minute again was amazing. What more could you have done? And how could you consider your career a failure when something like that happened? Yeah, I kind of come from a like a no excuses background, and and um, there's always a way to to find more and and to figure it out. And um, you know, I, I I think I'd start to develop new interests. You know, I I, I was really so focused on basketball, was, and, and when you go through something like that, that's such such an extreme life-changing event I, I think a big part of me wanted to you know I wanted to go on vacations I wanted to you know spend more time with family and you know I I met my wife and I mean it's a lot of things you know happened for me that that uh that kind of changed my perspective some and I wish I maybe grinded a little bit harder and and, and was able to just focus on on becoming a, you know the best basketball player I could but it just uh things change for me a little bit and we have a few moments left i do want to say that one of my favorite parts and i'm thrilled to see you doing as well as you are right now and i love the way you got back with dan and and got back into coaching however one of the favorite parts of your story and your life of course is what you found next what is one of the things that you did find after your basketball career ended Tim, it's it's something we, we both have a, have a have a good passion for and uh yeah getting into the thoroughbred business was something that was uh you know, a good change of pace for me. Uh, it was a competitive outlet. Um, I enjoyed going to the sales and seeing if I could, I could see the athleticism that, you know, maybe I had seen, you know, from more of a basketball perspective, but, you know, through a thoroughbred athlete and, uh, and, and to go through that process, you know, it was, uh, met a lot of great people in, in, in the business. Um, again, it, it kind of replaced some of the, the competitiveness with, with going into these big races and having a chance to to run and and walk with your horse uh, on Churchill Downs track uh, and and lead them you know to the paddock for the Derby it was you know some those are the type of memories and experiences that you know you don't really you get a chance to do or most people don't it was. Uh, Really enjoyed my time in that business. Bobby, I've never done that. Most people in, in that business never get to do that. You got to make that walk. What was it like to make that walk on Derby Day for Song and a Prayer? Oh, it, Jim, it was like it was like Cameron Indoor again, just because of just the uh, the passion and the crowd and the roar as as the as the horses are walking towards the paddock and uh, and then when you know when the gates open, it's it's uh, just the whole place erupts. So it's it was. Uh, 
it was an amazing uh, experience to do it. So, Bobby, really quickly, so when you got back into coaching, you went with Dan, and he went to Wagner, and then the roles had kind of flipped at that point, right? You were always the big bro, even though you're only a year and a half apart, but that was his program. He was the face of the program, and he brought you in, so the roles kind of reversed. You probably had to humble yourself a little bit. What were those three years like working with your brother? Yeah, I just, I was, I was watching a lot. I was like a sponge. I was, I was, uh, you know, picking up so much knowledge from Dan and, and he had been, you know, a head coach ran you know, a, a terrific program at St. Benedict's for so many years, one of the best high school programs in the country. So just, uh, you know, learn so much, um, got a chance to spend time with him in the office, just talking about, you know, our lives, our families, you know, everything, you know, so it was like that extra time was, uh, I feel like so blessed that I had a chance to, to do that. You know, even at Arizona State, you know, we we run so many of the same drills that that I uh, that I stole from Dan uh, at Wagner, and, um, and I think he's okay with that. But you know, I think we we uh, we both share the same competitive drive, the same passion. So you know, we we both fed off each other in that regard, and I think he trusted how hard I would work for him. In terms of work, and that's my final question for you, Bobby. I was talking to Coach K last spring, and when he talked about your family, when he talked about you, when he talked about your dad, when he talked about your brother, the phrase that he used is, there's dignity in work. There's dignity in work. What about Coach K? What was it like to play for him? And now knowing what you know about coaching, what do you make of a guy who's been in the game as long as he has and is still has that dignity in work and is still achieving at the level that he is four decades in? Yeah, it's it's insane, Jim, because I had a, a skewed perspective on this. You know, going to Duke and going to three national championship games and winning two of them and eighteen and two in the NCAA tournament. I think this is like normal for everybody should do this. But uh, you find out quickly uh, from uh, from the coach's perspective how hard it is to win any game, how how relentlessly you need to you know work and practice and prepare your team and how tough it is to win a game even if you do all those things at a really high level so the fact that he's been able to sustain you know the type of excellence he's had is just uh it's unbelievable for me i just i saw something the other day i think he hasn't lost a non-conference home game since like 2003 <laughs> it's like what's a joke I mean, that's right just, uh insane like some of the statistics and things he's achieved and accomplished over the years now, it's good to have you out here on this coast, Bobby. I know you got a big one coming up on Friday night against Nevada. You are a top 20 team. You're doing it differently this year than even last year. Appreciate you very, very much, Bobby. Thanks for making time to do that, and I'd love to see you soon. It's always great to have you on. Absolutely, Jim. Thanks, man. Let me shout out to all the building professionals listening right now. Check it out. If you're a contractor or a builder or a remodeler, Lumber Liquidators Pro Plus is the only partner that you will need for all of your flooring needs. With special pro-only pricing and dedicated support, LL Pro Plus will help you get your flooring jobs done quickly and profitably. Now, maybe you're sitting back and you're worried about selection or availability. Do not be. Lumber Liquidators has over $150 million million square feet of flooring available and they've got over 100,000 square feet in stock in most of their stores and on top of that they stock professional grade adhesives underlayment molding tools fasteners and grout so you can get exactly what you need when you need it 
If you're too busy to pick up your flooring, that's also not a problem. The LL Pro Plus team will deliver it right to your job. And with LL Pro Plus, you can even get yourself a business line of credit if that's something important to you. So put the LL Pro Plus flooring experts on your team right now. Visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or go to lumberliquidators.com slash pro sales today. My sincere thanks to Bobby Hurley once again. He has had a great and amazing basketball life and so good to get caught up with him. Speaking of catching up, that was Ep 62 of the podcast, which means there are 61 others that you can go back and spin right now. Episodes with guests like Gary Payton, David Faraday, Eric Burns, Stephen A. Smith, Charles Barkley, Steve Elkington, David Goggins, Keegan-Michael Key, Harvey Levin, Bob Costas, Adam Carolla, and about 50 more. I could not be more proud of the content and that guest list. You see now why you have to be subscribed to this thing. It's freaking quality. Do it. Press the subscribe button, leave a review, hit up the back catalog. I'll be back next week with a 63rd ep. In the meantime, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hey, what's up, Van Smack? This is Boomer here in the D. And not Dallas either. Detroit. The real D. I'm tired of Joe Buck. Fuck Joe Buck. Get Joe Buck ruins everything. Message deleted. Next message. For me and my fiance. Love you, Jim. And I love Jordan so much that I'm going to make a clothing line. Baby Jordan. Yeah. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome, this is Hacksaw Hamilton. Show me your lightning bolts, Charger fan. Hey, Pittsburgh, tell me how my ass tastes. Message deleted. Next message. I'm Rick in Buffalo, where we have shitty football. And even shittier tables that we set on fire and jump through them. And then we yell pretending that we have a take. Oh my god, I don't know what else to say. Message deleted. Next message. Hi Jim, it's Bella B in Calgary. I think Logan is old enough to have a little sippy sip of the martini, not just the olives. Message saved. Next message. Dude, so I'm here chopping bad vegetables that my wife likes to buy in bulk, and then they go bad. You know, things are good until they're not. Well... These vegetables are good until they're not. I chop them up. I chop them up because they're already dead, unlike Orenthal, who chopped up five people. So I chop them up. Message deleted. Next message. Oh, Romy Rome. War irate Craig and the river of bum smack he has opened. Outro. Message deleted. You have no more messages.